Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we're so happy to have back two of our favorite guests, Shane and Alicia O'Neill. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey. Thanks for having us back. <laughs> Off mic, I told them, but I should tell everyone that I have a memory of the first time they were on being maybe the time that I like laughed the hardest and was in like the goofiest <laughs> mood. I loved it so much. And it was my first time Aww. meeting them ever. So that's especially mm-hmm. cool. I think it was all the full house talk on the I first guess. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's such a good icebreaker. I know. Yeah. It made us instantly friends and very oh, yeah. giddy. Yeah. That's the power of Full House. (laughs) Everywhere you look, you know. (laughs) In case anyone needs a refresh, Shane was one of my friends from NYU. He went there for grad school. And Alicia has been his girlfriend, wife since high school. Yeah. So I even knew her back then, too, a little bit. Yeah. And they were last with us for episode 204, Date Night. So it's been almost two seasons yeah. since they've been here. Tail end of season three now. Time flies. Yeah. yeah. How have you guys been? What have you been up to? We've been good. Um, our kids are older. So our, our kids are now six and three. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so we that have a, brings a, changes. A kindergartner <laughs> and a preschooler now. Wow. That, that's probably the biggest change since last time. Yeah. yeah. That's so yeah. great. Shane, do you work from home a lot? I work from home entirely now. Wow. Yeah. For for those that don't know, this makes more sense if you know that I'm a software developer now. So like we went to work from home because there's really um, nothing we can't do from home, you know, with technology where it is today. And then um, our owners kind of like, you know, we do this just as well at home as we do at the office. So even once things are quote unquote back to normal, we're, we're staying at home. Like, it's it's better for everyone and you know yeah. especially me with kids like I'm just here to get yeah. Riley off the bus every day and I can walk outside get her off the bus and I walk back into the office and work for another hour so that's perfect. Well, I was thinking it must be nice them in school so that oh yeah yeah have... it's it's a right. huge help like if we yeah. if if we were both leaving for work every day that'd be a, a much bigger thing to juggle yeah every week yeah but it's nice yeah that's great and just remind everyone where you're joining us from we are in medina ohio which is a suburb of cleveland nice yeah well we're so happy to hear the family is good Mm -hmm. (laughs) everyone's working you guys were both working all through the pandemic though right yeah 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 i was able to take a little bit of leave i kind of had to when everything was first shutting down and my job was all remote too trying to work with a four-year-old and a one-year-old at home before we were sending them back to grandparents or daycare, Mm -hmm. it was impossible. So I did take a little chunk of leave, but, but then got back to work and um, yeah, just working away now and managing the kiddos. And, but like Shane said, it's a good thing that he at least is working from home because that is very helpful. Hmm. Yeah. And you're a speech and language pathologist, right? Yes. Yep. That's probably difficult to do remotely, right? Yes. <laughs> I would imagine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was it was not ideal to say the least. So I even though it's hard now to to be in a lot of different places, I work in a lot of schools and in people's homes. So I'm in with a lot of different people. And as you can tell, I have a little bit of a raspy voice going because we've had colds. Mm. Um, And I think that's just because of kids being in school and me being in a lot of different school and home environments. So, you know, it's better to be back in seeing my clients in person, 
but got the germs going full yeah. force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. I, uh, I'm back to work too. I don't know if I've really mentioned this. I mean, I have been for a long time, but now everyone is too. Like last year, about half my students were remote and about half of them were in the classroom. And mm-hmm. so I was doing this hybrid situation. And I was masked. It was very hard like to be masked and teaching to half of the people in my computer and half of the people in my room. It was yeah, tricky. I can't yeah. imagine that. Oh, it was so lot. much. And so now we're all back together in person, but masked, thankfully. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it's it's good. I mean, every once in a while, someone has to quarantine and they miss weeks of school and they didn't mm-hmm. before, you know, when they had the remote option. So it's not mm-hmm. perfect, but right. it is nice to just be there. If I need to check a book out to them, I can like hand them a book instead of right. be like, yeah, I'll be in the parking lot after school. Will you be there? And then maybe they show up. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to say really quick, Melissa, this has nothing to do with parenthood, but <laughs> I have to tell you, so the example you just gave about, yeah. you know, a meeting in a parking lot. So I read your recent Facebook post oh, where yeah. you listed that example and you were doing karaoke oh, in yeah. your classroom. <laughs> <laughs> so I listened to that and I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I could have had Melissa as a teacher. Oh, thank That's you. awesome. That's so nice. I, I walked in. I and was doing yard work this morning and I walked into the kitchen and she's standing there doing dishes like jamming full volume to you rapping in your classroom. That's so great. And that was, yeah, that was 2015. I think I was just feeling nostalgic. So I, I posted that old video of I like, things are sort of back to normal. But remember when we could actually like sing and crowd <laughs> everyone? Eminem with yeah, your students. with your students. Why not? So, oh, thank you. That was cool. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Forging friendships and fanships. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks again for rejoining Yay. us. Mm-hmm. We're so glad you're here. We had to pick really good guests for this one because this is such a heavy hit. Yeah, there's episode. a lot going on. It's yeah. a doozy. It's, it's a doozy. A doozy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doozy is Parenthood Season 3, <laughs> nice. Episode 17, Remember Me, I'm the One Who Loves You. It was written by Carrie Aaron, directed by Jason Kadams. It originally aired on February 21st, 2012. And here's the NBC synopsis. Julia heads to the hospital for the birth of her and Joel's son. Meanwhile, Sarah considers the possibility of a new life in New York with Mark. Adam and Crosby receive an extraordinary offer to sell the luncheonette, and Jasmine and Crosby reconcile their past during a campout with Jabbar. As we said, this is a very significant episode. Every episode of television on IMDb and every movie, users and viewers can rate the episode, and then the average rating of all of those votes will appear. And this is the highest rated episode of season three of Parenthood oh, wow. with a 9.0 rating. Wow. The episode Nora is the second highest of the ah. season with 8.9. And next week's season finale is 8.8. And in fact, it is the fifth highest rated episode of the entire series. Wow. And to remain spoiler free, I, I won't reveal what outranked it because all of those episodes are in later seasons. Oh, wow. Gotcha. Well, as I was watching this, like the second time with notes for this podcast, I, I realized I think this is my favorite episode, maybe oh. of the series. Wow. I'll, I will have to keep 
like an eye out, I suppose, in future episodes and see if something does beat it. Because as you said, the four that did beat it, like on IMDb, haven't happened yet. So maybe my memory, but I think season three is my favorite season. And I think this is my favorite episode of the season. So I don't know. I was just thinking, I can't imagine loving an episode more than this. So, so no pressure for us yeah. as podcast <laughs> guests at all, right? No, <laughs> but I did. I loved it so much. So anyway. Well, while we're hyping it up, let me also say this episode is on TV Line's list of top 10 most emotional episodes of Parenthood. Oh, my goodness. And on Bustle's top 10 best episodes ever. So, wow. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because we we watched it today and she was just sitting on the couch just crying. Just sobbing. Yes. Just, I mean. Every time I look over, like, I was my face tears, was soaked. Yeah. Like the tears just kept oh. coming, and I said to him, "Why do I do this to myself?" <laughs> oh, it's true. Well, let's start. Let's ease in with some of the less emotional storylines. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll work our way up. Okay. So first off, we have this new plan that Mark just throws out in a casual moment, which I feel like is maybe. A recurring theme with Mark. Let's go to Morocco. Let's have a baby. Giant plans (laughs) and then just tosses them out without really thinking very far ahead. But here's his plan. I think that we should move to New York and you work on your place. That's where all the theater is, and I think it would be good for you. And and we could just do it. But we're planning to have a baby. Yes, we are. And they allow babies in New York now. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. I think it passed in the last election. What about the uh, children that uh, I have? Those children, well, I've thought about everything. We wait until Drew graduates, and we take that time to plan for it, and I get a sabbatical. That's what we do. We just move to New York City. We just move to New York City. I, w- I would like to say, first of all, that high school teachers do not get sabbaticals. So I was I, wondering about that. <laughs> I'd just like to make that clear. Yeah, yeah. we kind of jumped into the storyline here. We've seen all the episodes, not recently, but I. But when he said that, I thought, wait, is he a college professor or something now? Because because then later, they, they when Sarah's talking about this plan with Christina, she's like, yeah, move to New York, live in a brownstone. And I was like, on what? A teacher's salary <laughs> yeah. and an aspiring playwright? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you live in a brown box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, while we're calling attention to things that aren't all that relevant, I remembered two specific line readings of Lauren Graham's throughout the series that I did not particularly enjoy. <laughs> One was from the Halloween episode when she went, or maybe it was right after that. When she goes, it was amazing how you saved that girl, which I was misremembering a little bit. It wasn't actually as bad as I remembered it. That was amazing how you saved that girl. The other one, though, was in that scene where she the said, baby. you're planning to have a baby. <laughs> and it was as bad as I remember. Now, it's I bad. did not know this at the time because it hadn't been created yet. But now her line reading reminds me of Moira Rose oh, yeah, yeah, from baby. Schitt's Creek. <laughs> yes. So let's just do a little compare and contrast. But we're planning to have a baby. Either way, great progress for Bebe. <laughs> <laughs> Uncanny. Oh, yes, yes. Maybe that was um, her inspiration when they started working on that character for Schitt's Creek. <laughs> yeah, that single, yeah, that single line episode. reading. <laughs> 
and, and she said that's hilarious. So. He's doing it every time. I think Lauren Graham kind of says it like that a few episodes back when she's talking to the gynecologist about she was like me having another baby. <laughs> so I think she kind of says it like that because I I think it's like a like a forecasting doubt about it. Yeah. Like she acts mm. like yeah. she's in. But she keeps saying it like baby, like I don't yeah. know this word. It doesn't yes. <laughs> compute. Am I and saying so, this right? Yeah, baby. A bit, a right? baby. I think it's her secret <laughs> desire not to have a baby. Wow, these I are the kind of agree. insights yes. that you all come here for. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what do you think? I actually thought Mark's plan was kind of a dope plan. It's a nice way to call back to the fact that Sarah was a playwright for a little bit <laughs> without having to actually watch her work on plays. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you should be in New York if you're actually serious about that, which I think is good advice. And I like the idea of them starting a life together that's just them and like kind of marking that geographically too. But it is on the entirely opposite coast of a very large country so right. it's very far maybe it's a little extreme very sad when when she's like what about my other children and he of course is like yeah we'll wait till drew graduates um i'm sorry what about um amber <laughs> just a thought we're about the other child like there's no reference he's oh. just well i think it's because she's already it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. She's a grown up, kind of. Very loosely <laughs> yeah. used, right? Yeah. She's she's what, 20 years old now? But she still needs her mom, as we see later in the episode, right? Yeah. So I was sad about that. What about it? It would be pretty brutal to tell your college freshman child, all right, now that you're in college, I'm gonna move four times. And start a new life. And it's so, it did strike me as funny that if Drew were to say, well, like Hattie, Hattie's moving to New York, Ithaca, but she's going to be going to school about as far away as she could Mm -hmm. without leaving the country. Mm -hmm. That's like, thumbs up, awesome, go conquer the world. But the reverse is a little, if I were Drew, I think I might feel like, you're ditching me? Yeah. (laughs) Like, you're going to go as far away from me as you can get? Yeah. But I think they could come around. I think. I like the the plan appeals to me because I feel like she has deferred a lot of her own plans and ambitions because she had kids that she didn't necessarily plan on. And I think mm-hmm. she's done very right by those kids. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit like, now it's time for Sarah. Yeah, uh, they might need this. They all might need this. Yeah. What did you think, Melissa? I'm so torn because it does sound wonderful. I mean, if they could magically afford it. And and I wish he hadn't said sabbatical. I wish he had just said, like, I will get a job there, you know, <laughs> or I will apply. They need teachers, right? I will wait tables. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. I will. But, you know, just logistics aside, it, it does sound really great to live in New York and to have their own thing. And maybe it would be cool to not live in the same, you know, city as her entire extended family. But then, I don't know, part of me was also like, why does Mark keep trying to make them have tons of plans? A baby plus Morocco, a baby plus New York City. I'm like, wouldn't a baby be stressful enough? Like, and she needs to move out of the guest house at some point. You know, like, do they need to move 3,000 miles also? Like, I don't know. I just feel like, boy... Maybe that's the way to do change, I guess, just all at once. But I guess maybe it just speaks to who I am. I'm not like a super adventurous person. And if I were going to embark on having a child with someone, I might be like, okay, 
one step at a time. Let's get a place where we have a support system and you have a job instead of some make-believe job that you might get in New York. Because even sabbatical, that's confusing. That's a semester. What does he do when the sabbatical is up? They move back and he resumes teaching in -hmm. Berkeley, you know, so yeah. But you can become a successful playwright in six months. Sure, that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you raise a really good point. If he were offering this plan as an alternative to having a baby. Yeah. I think that that would make a lot more sense because pursuing that kind of career, like a playwriting career in New York is a very self-centered pursuit. And I don't mean that with a negative connotation, but Mm -hmm. that is Sarah putting Sarah first. Right. That's what it requires. Yeah. Antithesis of having a newborn. Right. Oh yeah. That is putting yourself completely on the back burner and devoting yourself. I mean, for 18 years, but for your whole life, but especially for like a few months, years, they are completely dependent on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be a nightmare, I would think, actually. Yeah. And to do it in New York and your, yeah, your whole support system. Yeah. It's gone. There's right. no one to babysit if you Patty could drive down something. from Ithaca and babysit. The, yeah. <laughs> the babysitting, that's that's the deal breaker right there for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And it's and and as I remember we joked about last time we were on, but as we've seen numerous times throughout the series, it's not like their family lives in the same town and they see them on weekends sometimes. Right. They're like very much involved in each other's lives. So mm-hmm. to completely uproot that when you have a newborn, I don't know. Yeah, that, that seems a bit far fetched to me. Yeah. It makes me think that Mark doesn't fully get this like responsibilities that he's about to agree to by having a kid. You know, oh, and yeah. it, it makes me think like they're kind of play acting at you know having a grown up life. It kind of sounds almost to me the way that like high schoolers talk about the future. Yeah, you know, and then we'll live in a brownstone in New York, and they're not fully thinking this. We'll have a baby, and you'll be a playwright, and yeah, you know, it just yeah, it's romantic, but I don't know right. how realistic it is. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that too, and obviously he's a grown man and not a high schooler, but it does also I I felt like a little bit help to remind us of their bit of an age gap. Like, you know, he's not 20 and having these wild, fantastical dreams that they could do together, but it does kind of remind us that they are somewhat in different places in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I thought the same thing too. He's at an age where he can kind of just throw out wild ideas that involve big changes. What would it mean for him to go to New York? Well, we don't know what his like family situation, but Mm -mm. yeah, they need English teachers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And he's not tied down by a family or anything here. He could just go. Sarah's not at an age or in a circumstance where that is as easy for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is not the exact same issue, but Shane, when you went to grad school, I mean, you and Alicia had already been together for a long time then. Was your plan always to come back to Ohio or was it a, a possibility that Alicia might move to New York when she was finished with school and you would just live in New York together? Yeah, that was... That was more so the plan at that time. So I'm trying to think time-wise. So I started grad school when I was 23. So we would have been together for, I don't know. I didn't go to grad school for math. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe six years? We were together for like six or seven. I started grad school when I Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so at that point, so she started grad school at the same time here in Ohio. So at that point, we knew... We would be both be in grad school for two years. And the plan was that she would come to New York after because 
obviously, you know, I was going to grad school for theater and I wasn't going to finish grad school for that and then leave the center of the theatrical world. That would have made no sense. So we knew she was going to come there. And I think we always knew that we would go back to Ohio. It was just like a question of how long we wanted, you know, we wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and it didn't end up being terribly long, but, uh, you know, we were glad we did. Oh, and, yeah. so and, glad. and kind of like speaking to having those youthful romantic dreams, like, you know, that was the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. Yeah. And we're glad we were there. But we always knew like, when it came time for having a family and stuff yeah. like that, you know, we never wanted to do that in New York. We always knew that would be back here. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I know people, as I'm sure you do, who have kids in New York very successfully and they oh, sure. like that idea. Like, oh, my kid's going to be a real New Yorker because so yeah. many New Yorkers yeah. are from somewhere else. To find a native is mm -hmm. a big deal. <laughs> right. But I'm with you. I always think like I wouldn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. No. It just depends on your parenting style, I guess, and what you want for your your kids' lives. Right. Like we, since we're from more country type settings, both of us grew up on what, like six acres or so. So we're used to like wide open spaces and we love, love, love New York City for what it is. But we knew that we wanted our kids to grow up here where, mm -hmm. where there's a lot more grass and trees and and kind of not just to speak about like the environment, mm -hmm. but to go back to like the support system that we yeah. talked about with Sarah, like yeah. all of our families here as well. So, yeah. and we're close with them and we didn't want to have a baby and be mm -hmm. 500 miles away from everybody. So, yeah. you know, we knew that was, that was a key factor in it. Yeah. Oh, I love everything you both just said. And something that really struck me listening to you two is how, I don't know, together you seemed like you had a similar plan and like you'd had conversations about what you wanted. And it feels so the opposite of Mark just kind of throwing out these ideas. And I'm like, if you're really serious about having a baby before you say, let's move to New York, shouldn't you say, what do you imagine our lives will look like when we have this baby? Do you want to still live in Berkeley near your family or would you like to start somewhere new? And if it's somewhere new, I did have an idea about where that could be. But, you know, mm -hmm. instead, it's just, let's move to New York. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I do think that there's something that doesn't feel entirely together about them. It's, yes. It doesn't feel like they've got a real solid plan. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can tell it's it's a newer relationship, relatively speaking. You yeah. can sense that with them. Like, huh, they're still feeling each other out and learning how to communicate with each other really yeah because yeah. that when we made our move like we said we had been together six years and even though we were both young we knew what each other wanted kind of by that point mm -hmm. yeah. right yeah. yeah and you know we it might it might sound all put together and articulate now as we look back on it but when we were when we were 23 it might not have been as um as as well thought out as it sounds but yeah. that that's generally what we wanted and how it shook out yeah. yeah and alicia you said this before i took the exact same note when amber shows up at the end um, yeah it's like i just wanted to see my mom i was like okay so sarah's not going to new york exactly right. yeah. no besides that right just, yeah off the table. They now. don't even need to say it. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 If she needs to drop in and see her mom, you gotta be there. Yep. Yeah. Sarah had the, the tear going down. I was like, oh, that's it. That's the tear for She's New York. Go <laughs> 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 Goodbye, beautiful dream. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
Uh, well, and you know, I do think, you know, Caleb, you said something earlier that I found really interesting. Like if a child moves across the country, no big, I actually think, you know, as a non-parent, <laughs> hypothetically objective, it just feels to me like a parent should be able to do the same thing once their kids are grown. But yeah. I, but being like allowed to and wanting to are different things. Yes. Like I think Sarah should feel free to do that. No guilt. She raised those kids and raised them well and gave them everything she had. But mm -hmm. I don't know that she wants to. You know, mm -hmm. when she said to Mark, what about the children I have? I think she meant, I want to be in their lives, you know? Mm. And I, <laughs> yeah. yes, you know, Amber didn't move. And so she and Amber have continued their relationship. And if you go back to season one, they were always at odds with each other and fighting and they have come such a long way. This is like the best part of their relationship they've ever had. I, yeah. I don't know if you'd want to, move away yeah. when it's this yeah. good yeah right. or go back to the chills. beginning of season three and look how much sarah missed amber when she just moved across town yeah, yeah. she moved to an apartment and she's like no stay with me forever oh. <laughs> so, yeah well i loved the scene between amber and sarah at the beginning of the episode well i don't know if i loved it but i thought it was a really interesting conversation and conflict when amber was saying that she was not working on the campaign anymore because it made total sense to me that Amber doesn't want to tell Sarah the real reason. Mm -hmm. Because it's embarrassing for her and it, it might invite a lot of follow-up that Amber doesn't want to deal with. But then, of course, Sarah hearing it would think that Amber, once again, is just not following through with something because she doesn't believe in herself. Mm -hmm. So right. her instinct would be to press and encourage and mm -hmm. Amber is trying to deflect and deal with it on her own. I thought, mm, they both have great intentions, but... This feels like it's a setup for something not good. Yeah. Right. She tells Sarah that she didn't think it was the right fit for her. I agree. Not because she's not good at it, but because she's, you know, with a boss who's lecherous is what I've decided. <laughs> and, you know, obviously she doesn't say that to her mom. But later when Christina goes to talk to her, I wondered if the advice Christina was giving her was terrible <laughs> I, I i yeah i i don't know well let's discuss sarah and christina's conversation oh yeah mm. i found really fascinating Oof. amber and bob were about to have an affair bob little her boss is he married the candidate no he's oh. not married when you said affair i thought yeah, they, were, not, on they a were just about to business trip. They were on the verge. They were on a business Stop. trip up in Sacramento. Yeah. And I went up there because Hattie had tipped me off with some information. Oh so God. I went up there just, I know, I know. And I went no, in no, and, I, and I saw Wait. them half undressed. So I took Wait, her home because and now she won't come back to work. I'm and sorry. I'm devastated. I don't understand for her. the problem. I'm so they like each other? I don't know. Sarah, I went there to stop it. We're in the middle of a campaign, and I'm so trying to protect the Amber. The campaign is in trouble She's if he goes on a date with uh, somebody? I don't understand. You shouldn't date your boss. shouldn't do anything wrong at work. It's all intertwined. It's no, all intermingled. No, it's not. Okay, it's not. Sarah, if she's going to learn that it's not old, right okay? to date your boss, she's going to learn it on her own. Didn't she was embarrassed. Make a mistake, okay? I don't want her to make a mistake Please either. I'm her mother. You know well, she's going to make her own mistakes. Lower your voice. Doesn't she? Please. I'm sorry. You should probably leave. I think what you meant to say was thank you so much for looking out for my daughter because if it were Hattie, I would hope to God you'd do the same thing for me. Okay? I'm at work right now. 
Uh, I love the I think what you meant to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that cracked me up. Then Just, it cracked me up now. I had totally forgotten this scene and I thought it was a real firecracker because first of all, these characters I feel like have always had a little like baseline level of tension between oh, yeah. them. I'm not always sure how much they actually like each other. Right. And I just, I, I absolutely believe, especially 10 years ago, that reasonable people, I think Sarah and Christina are both reasonable, could view this situation differently mm-hmm. and might not understand and would just assume the other person saw it the way they saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it's much clearer to me on this watch than it was when I first watched it, I, I still see how there could be some room for like a gray area and I just thought it made for a really tough conflict. Oh yeah. yeah. It, was, it was uncomfortable. I was, I was like, Oh, I don't know if I should be laughing or just flinching and <laughs> making faces like, Oh, ah, I don't know. This is, this is awkward <laughs> altogether. It was, and I, I, it made sense almost like it was predictable, obviously the way that each of them responded like Caleb, I know what you're saying. Yes. They're both reasonable people. You would think that they they could have those views of the situation, but they're they're just not budging on accepting one another. They're just like, oh no, of course I'm thinking this way. Oh, but of course I'm thinking this way. So when she just when Monica Potter just shuts it down, like, okay, I'm at work, then <laughs> it's like, all right, I guess we're we're just not gonna finish this. <laughs> Which I thought was fair because Monica Potter, well, Christina has had like a front row seat to all this. So yeah. even though she gave Sarah the nutshell version, mm-hmm. she knows a lot more because she saw right. what was happening, even though she wasn't totally aware of it until a certain point. Yeah. If Sarah just thinks, oh, they're just dating. Well, but define dating. Like, yeah. They weren't mm-hmm. really anyway. Was she a little on the defensive, though, because she herself at one point dated her boss at the oh, yeah. shoe totally. factory, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> wow. I'm sure that's part of it. And yeah, and you're right. That's a really interesting line when she's like, if she's going to learn, it's not okay to date her boss. I'm like, like you did (laughs) last year. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that really struck me, I keep talking about this over the last few episodes, but I have changed my mind about this storyline. And I remember last time I watched this, or at least the first time I watched this, I thought Sarah was right, you know? Um, And I was like, thank you, because I thought Christina had been totally inappropriate to go and pull Amber from, you know, his hotel room. I'm like, how humiliating for Amber. That's awful. Yeah. And this time I really thought that Christina was right to do it and that Sarah was just not getting those power dynamics. And, And we've been talking a lot about how just watching it post me too, you know, and, and yeah. understanding mm-hmm. things about abusing your power to sort of, you know, and your kind of mm-hmm. in Bob Little's case is aw shucks persona to sort of, I don't know, manipulate Amber, which is how mm-hmm. I see it now. And it's really interesting. I, I think that, you know, Sarah's acting like the two of them are just equals. They're both adults. They can embark on a relationship. And I feel like she really gets Christina on technicalities when when Christina calls it an affair. Maybe that isn't the most accurate word, but I think she's trying to give it a grown-up word, you know, mm-hmm. and, and something with a negative connotation because Sarah keeps using words like a date, you know, like, mm-hmm. like she's making it sound very innocent. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I found that whole thing fascinating. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I agree that it's interesting that the writers chose the word affair. And then they 
how Sarah's like, well, was he married? Mm-hmm. Like, nah, it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's going against what, what Christina is, is trying to recognize that you shouldn't be sleeping with your boss. And, yeah. and she could have just called it that, yeah. but they chose the word affair. It is kind of interesting to, to your right, to bring up a, a negative connotation so that Sarah could realize the seriousness that Christina was trying to get yeah. at. One, some of the things Christina didn't mention to Sarah was like, Sarah, I hired your daughter to be my assistant. And then she caught Bob's eye and he switched her from being my assistant to being his assistant. And then suddenly he's inviting her on a trip out of town, just the two of them. Like, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that would change Sarah's perspective, at least a little bit. Because that's, that's stuff that this time around watching, I was like, this felt so much more calculating yeah. than the first time where it's like, he's, he's maneuvering her like a chess piece yeah, so that she's like within his grasp. Mm-hmm. It would be one thing. I mean, I think it would still be inappropriate, but if he were dating Christina's assistant yeah. who he met on the campaign, I think that's better, you know, on a spectrum that's mm-hmm. better than, yeah, now I'm putting her directly under me. She answers to me. She only yeah. helps me. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an entirely different yeah, power different. dynamic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wondered. Oof. I mean, they made up Christina and Sarah made up very quickly. <laughs> My only thought about that scene was: Do you think Christina wants Sarah to move to New York just to have one fewer braver men around <laughs> to drive her batty? I think she's really intimidated by Sarah and Adam's fierce sexual chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh man. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I I actually think, at least the way Monica Potter chose to deliver that, it was really kind of beautiful, the way that she was like almost tearing up hearing this plan and she was like, go, do it, be happy. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I loved that. I thought it was totally sincere and selfless. And you know, it didn't occur to me until just now hearing you say that, that Christina recently, even with children still to raise, kind of prioritized herself more than she had been and said, I'm going to go back to work Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm going to yeah. find value in that part of me in addition to my value as a mother. Yeah, Sure. Yeah. So it might be coming from a very personal place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I loved when Christina went over to talk to Amber. Loved this scene. Hey. Hi. It sounded great. Thanks. Sorry, it's uh, messy right now. That's okay. I tried to call a lot, and I emailed you a few times. Amber, I am... I'm really sorry for how everything happened in Sacramento. I really am. I didn't mean to embarrass you, and I'm sorry that I made a scene, but I'm not sorry about why I did it. I just want to make sure that you're okay. No, I, look, I understand, to be honest, I, I, I get why you did what you did. Just feel confused about what to do and where I... I just don't want to see you give up. I want you to come back to work. Amber, when I was your age, I made some really stupid decisions that I regret. I know that I'm your aunt, but I am. I understand. I do. And I'm here for you. And I love you. 
I like anytime the show like gives us those glimpses into seeing like the aunt, uncle, niece, nephew relationships because mm-hmm. the characters always have, you know, like we see so many in-depth storylines between parents and children, but like obviously those aunts and uncles are very much a part of all of their lives. Yeah. So it's yeah. nice when we get to see like real moments with them rather than just like casual throwaway interactions at a, a family dinner or something like that. Yeah. So true. And they just feel special because of how rare they are. Yeah. And I I feel like hearing that scene is one thing, but what made it so incredible to see it, it doesn't really come across, but like the way they both cry was so masterful. Like Christina Mm -hmm. just had, it was like this subtle, like, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. tears, which was like, but I understand. And you could tell she was trying very hard to keep her voice level. And then... Amber, my oh. God, Mae Whitman's yeah. delivery right there. Like she's incredible. She is. She's incredible. That should be nothing. She should just be like, cool, you know. But like the the way she like cried, but was looking down, and then she kind of did this thing with her hand, and like I felt smoked. like it was like an okay sign. Yeah, it was like an okay sign mm-hmm. that then kind of went down on the guitar. Like like yeah. she was trying not to show very much emotion, but clearly she was feeling very emotional. It was so yeah. interesting. Like she couldn't even speak. Yeah, it was yeah. a really beautiful delivery. Oh. Yeah. I have to repeat, I, I'm loving Christina in this season. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was so great. Although when she first came in, I didn't remember this scene very well either. I was a little hesitant because I thought, is the show going to have her apologize? Like she, after talking to Sarah, realized, oh, Sarah's right. I made way too big of a deal of this. And I thought, no, I don't think you did. And, mm-hmm. and so I was glad that she said what she said because mm-hmm. I thought it was, even though I don't, really think she caused that big of a scene. Like if she had done it at the campaign in front mm-hmm. of everyone, that's a scene. Sure, uh, yeah. But like who knows about that? Only the three people in that room. That's mm-hmm. pretty discreet. Mm-hmm. But I still thought the apology was an extremely kind gesture because it did embarrass Amber. And even if it was for her own good, which I think it was, it was very generous of Christina to offer that. And her confiding about her own experiences I thought was also very generous. But I like that she stood up for why she did it, too. Yeah. I hear what you were saying earlier, Melissa, of like, I'm not sure going back to the campaign is a great strategy on its own. But I think the motivation behind that was a good point, which is I don't want your experience with this kind of creep to derail something you are good at. You deserve to still get everything you can out of this job even if this guy kind of knocked you off course a little bit. And I also, another facet that I liked about this scene was that Amber didn't seem to know yet how to feel about everything that happened. I loved that. That she was confused. And that's something that I feel like maybe because I'm a man, I don't understand that. And I, I wonder if it makes me dismiss some people's stories or like when people are like, why'd you wait so long to come forward? about misconduct or something, people don't know immediately how they feel about things. I mean, putting aside shame and fear of retaliation and all of that, Amber may not know for a long time exactly what her stance on that whole situation is. And that's okay. It takes people time to sort through their own feelings. And I don't know, it just felt like a nice point to make. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it was necessary that she really had that 
reaction after Christina's little lecture, you know, like, like we were saying before with that single beautiful tear and she's looking <laughs> down and, and she's drums or guitar <laughs> in, in such a way that like really shows her frustration and confusion and just like, she's just at a loss kind of for how to feel and how to respond. And I think what you're talking about, Caleb, with, you know, if you add in the shame and fear of rejection of her family and that the family layer, the family, the fact that, you know, she's working with Christina for this campaign. It's not like it's totally separate, you know, it's of course in typical Braverman fashion, (laughs) it's all tied together, employment and family and relationships. So I think it, I think it made sense. It was beautifully done the way that they the way that May Whitman delivered that for sure. Uh, you gotta, you gotta respect the the processing time. I think. Yeah. Well, and it, I, I mentioned Monica Lewinsky a couple episodes ago, and I think it's valuable to mention in conjunction with what Caleb just said about it takes time to know how to process. I mean, for a long time, Monica Lewinsky phrased it like, "I fell in love with my boss," and only I think after a lot of years had passed did she start to think like, "Well, I was taken advantage of by my boss," and how both of those things could be true at once. You know. It's not as simple as Amber had no feelings for this guy and thought he was gross and why wouldn't he leave her alone? She did right. have feelings for him. She was attracted to him, but mm-hmm. then he used that and took advantage of her. And I think, but at the same time, she wants to feel like she is fully in control of her own actions and she doesn't want to feel like she was just manipulated and she also flirted with him. So there are a lot of layers here and it's yes. very complicated. There would be a lot to sort through and it would... I I just thought, yeah, it was a lot more nuanced than television often is that Mm -hmm. she spent this episode just sort of being like, yeah, I don't know. I'm at a loss. (laughs) And I really I I don't know what the right thing to do is as far as the campaign goes, because while I see Christina's point and Caleb's point about how don't let this guy derail something you're good at. I also personally think it's a good idea to get out of dangerous, toxic relationships and situations. And I don't really yeah. know how she could work for him yeah. in a healthy way after right. everything that happened. And so part of me thinks it would be in her both, you know, own best interests to find employment elsewhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though this was a good opportunity, I don't know. So that's just... Yeah, especially given that she is still in this processing phase how is she going to successfully work through that when kind of the impetus of all of this conflict is around her all the time? Oh, exactly. Saying charming things that probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. If she were immediately in a place of like, well, that was a mistake. I won't do that again. (laughs) It might be easier to be like, okay, and I'm going to be around him, but it's fine. I'll just tune him out and set some really clear boundaries and I'll be okay. But she's not there yet. Mm -mm. Yeah. I mean, even then I'm not sure it would be ideal thing luckily campaigns are temporary jobs (laughs) anyway although maybe that's another thing against christina's argument why go back to this job that's not going to last anyway Mm. oh that's true yeah well let's move to a different workplace (laughs) the luncheonette luncheonette Luncheonette. first i want to give a little nod to richard gilchrist who is played by Kadeem Hardison. Dwayne Wayne! Sorry. Yep, on a different world. I knew Melissa was a different world fan. I am. And it's funny because I watched that when I was a little kid. And so when I watched Parenthood, you know, in the past, 
I don't think I put it together because I just didn't really remember that character very well. But Mark and I rewatched that series a couple years ago, and I, I just love the character of Dwayne Wayne. Like, I hadn't remembered how great he is. You know, all I think anyone remembers are, like, the pop glasses. Like, do you know who I'm talking about? Have you no. seen? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I never watched I've it. Never oh, seen you didn't? Show. Okay. Yeah. So a, di a Different World is a spinoff of The Cosby Show, and it ran for, like, six seasons, and it was a really big deal. Um, just it, was, it took place in a black college, and it was... Um, I, I don't know. It was it, kind of iconic for its time, I think. But yeah, I was pretty young when it was on, and I know I'm older than all of you, so it makes sense that it wasn't on your radar. But oh my gosh, you got to look up Dwayne Wayne, and he Dwayne was just Wayne. yeah, he, yeah, he had these. He was very famous for these uh, glasses that had like sunglasses attached to them, and they were always popped up, and <laughs> nice. uh, and then he always like wore a hat, and like you know, so in the first season, he was just kind of like a bit of a punchline. He was a nerd. He was in love with um, in the first season. Um, Lisa Bonet was on it and mm. you know Denise Huxtable and then she actually left the show and then it became about something else and then he was really the star he and this other um, character Whitley and it was like oh, who, will they won't they it was adorable but anyway he was wonderful like there were episodes where like there was a one of his classmates was about to get date raped in a car and he like figured out that this was going to happen and he like went and he he wasn't like the like, like she could stand up for herself but he was just there to help her and he was just this like kind caring person he was a math genius it broke all kinds of stereotypes i think about like black characters it was just a really wonderful show and i loved him and anyway i thought it was interesting that in parenthood this episode you hear his voice for a second before you see him and i was like oh my god this is the episode with Dwayne wade because he's got this very distinctive <laughs> voice and then you see him and i'm like oh Dwayne wayne is all grown up like he just looks <laughs> he just doesn't look 18 anymore obviously you know he's like in his late 40s or whatever it was a little jarring but it was good to see him so anyway thank you for letting me gush oh yeah, yeah. are you are you planning your uh, different world rewatch podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's really good i have anyway well and i think his character on parenthood might be breaking ground too because is this the first character of color with a high school diploma oh I'm god <laughs> but uh, it's true no. it's terrible melissa realized that in our last episode and it's like oh man it's, yeah it's not the first but anyway richard gilchrist's offer <laughs> i thought my memory was i think it's a million dollars but then still seeing it when he wrote it down and the camera saw it Made my jaw drop. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, I had a moment of like, if someone showed me, here, I'm going to give you this. Yeah. And it said a million dollars. I'd be like, take whatever you want. <laughs> it's yours. I, I don't love anything that much. I was surprised they showed it. Because like, there's so many times in, in TV or movies where like, they slide the offer mm. across the table and you don't get to see it. Which right, which then happens later in the episode. Yeah. But I was surprised we saw the first one. Yeah, <laughs> let's discuss that moment because I know <laughs> it is one of Melissa's favorite acting moments of the episode, <laughs> nay, of the series. I believe. <laughs> what about that? Just look at it. Just look at it. can't be serious. I am, Adam. I'm dead serious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
remember that sound effect. Okay, I, the yeah. lightning wasn't in the episode, but <laughs> the rest of it was. It reminds me of a movie I love, Dead Poet Society, and I love Parenthood, and I've even said this is my favorite episode. So I mock with love. Um, but like in Dead Poet Society, there's this part where they're all about to join the Dead Poet Society, and it's very dramatic. One of them's like, all right who's in and someone else is like i'm in and i mean they're just talking about like going into the woods and like reading poetry in a cave it's like they act like like who's into burying this body i don't yeah. know it's very dramatic i am adam i'm dead serious it's just very it was a lot do you guys believe that someone would pay a million dollars for the luncheonette is that realistic i was curious i did want to ask that I did with his, um, I don't remember Dwayne Wayne's character's name. Richard. Richard. Yeah, I kind of I did with his like explanation about the history of the place and, and kind of what it represents to the industry. Like, you know, and Adam said like, I'm sure we've cut into your business a little bit, but it can't be that much. And and I doubt I doubt that it is, but it's it seems like whatever this business that Richard represents like a million dollars probably isn't that much to them, no. but but Especially to in but but to add like the history and that cool factor of this place to their brand is probably worth that. That's a good point. Yeah, I thought yeah. the same thing. It did make me wonder a little bit though, retroactively, how did they purchase this place so seemingly easily? Like if yeah. it is such a historic place mm -hmm. why wasn't there a bidding war over the building why didn't richard gilchrist buy it right then when it became yeah. available yeah, yeah. First and, and i suppose there is some merit to like well it wasn't a functioning recording studio mm -hmm. when the bravermans bought it and they turned it into one and now it's back to its former glory i guess but sure his rationale for why he they would pay so much for it, I thought did make sense. If you can afford it, I guess. I mean, to me, I'm like, well, I can't pay a million dollars for anything. I don't care how cool it <laughs> yeah. is. So it's just hard for me to get out of that mind frame. Like, oh, they have money. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, imagine what you might buy. All right. Yeah. Well, let's discuss the conflict between the brothers. Uh, I just want to talk about that offer. Yeah, that was crazy, huh? Yeah, that is a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. And what? And I fully understand that you don't want to sell, but I feel like we at least need to discuss it. Uh, there's nothing to discuss. <laughs> well, that, that's not entirely the case. There is something to discuss because I'm a partner and I want to discuss okay, it. Okay, well, I don't want to discuss it. Crosby. Hey, what? Well, that is not cool. Oh, that's not cool? Uh-uh. What is cool, Adam? Putting a price tag on my dream? Oh, come on. You can't just throw your dream out there. This is a business. And we're business partners, and I would like to discuss this. What do you want to talk about? You want to sell? You want to sell a place we just built with our own hands? I might. It's not going to happen, OK? This discussion's over. All right. Well, well this, is, this is very mature. It, maturity has nothing to do with this, OK? You know how stupid it would be if we sold right now? I mean, why do you think they want to buy it? Because we're doing great, and they're afraid of it's us. It's not stupid, they're not afraid of us, Crosby, right? Do you have any idea how difficult it would be for us to clear a million dollars here? I do don't care about a million dollars, okay? Don't. I love this place. I thought you loved it, too. I thought we were going to work here until we were done. I love it here, too, Crosby, but I have financial problems I don't know how to solve, and you know this, all right? I've put my family through hell. I've burned through our savings putting this place together, and now you're trying to unilaterally decide what we're doing, and it's not going to go down that way. I'm not selling. Just stay here and try and have a talk with me about it. Just do it. 
<laughs> so I guess, um, Caleb, we know how you feel. Oh, I was just saying that as a joke. Just do it. Okay. But is that how you feel? You, I mean, you said earlier that you would, would you sell it? I want to say this because I feel like I so rarely do. I agree with Adam on this one. Not necessarily on to sell or not to sell. Because I don't think Adam is close off to Crosby's position. But in terms of having to have a conversation about it, I think it's shitty of Crosby to just shut it down. Mm -hmm. I'm not selling no matter what is not a very helpful attitude. I sympathize with Crosby because I think he's being honest. And I admire someone who's clearly doing their work for love and can resist a million dollar offer so easily. Like that's awesome. But he owes it to Adam to discuss what selling might mean. And maybe there's a way to work something out. Maybe Adam can sell a share of it and West Coast Records could buy a share of it and Crosby can still own a part of it. Or I, I don't know, maybe there is a middle ground to figure out, but you gotta work together. You can't just like Adam says, unilaterally decide for both of them. Yeah, I like that. I like that line of thinking because Adam talking about the fact that he brings up like my family is hurting and yeah. he, and you see it in his eyes. Oh my goodness, his his face, he really conveys like, oh my goodness, this could this could change everything. This could be so incredibly helpful. So you feel that and that makes me think yeah, like you're saying, Caleb, can they work it out? Can they figure out some solution so that Adam's family, like, you know, is this exactly what they need to, to get back on their feet? And Crosby should care about that because that's his family too. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not right. like they're just business part partners and that's it. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and even if Adam had half a million dollars, well, boom, Hattie's college is paid for done. He can just take that worry off his plate. That is quite a thing to ask someone to give up. My question is, is Crosby's dream tied to the luncheonette specifically? Or is Crosby's dream to own his own recording studio? Because if he had a half a million dollars, he could part ways with the luncheonette and maybe open another recording studio that mm -hmm. just wouldn't be the luncheonette. Yeah, and he could point. still do what he loved to do. But then we might be getting into the uh, logistics of the contract they'd be signing with uh, the record label and non-competes and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wayne Wayne. Well, and just the feasibility of how many recording studios can the Berkeley market <laughs> true, that's support? True. I mean, now like, in New York City, Sarah. there's yeah. like two, you know? Because <laughs> I was then wondering what would they do financially after that? Because... A million dollars sounds like a lot of money and, and whatever, you know, Dwayne Wayne's second offer was also mm -hmm. sounds like a lot of money, I'm sure. But it is finite. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like Hattie's college would be paid for, but that would certainly take up quite a bit of that money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... You then, still have to pay for a mortgage on a house in Berkeley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, then you're just still in a position of, okay, so then now what? Because Adam is done at the shoe business and Crosby, yeah, if he can start at a, a different recording studio, that's one thing. But if they do have to sign some sort of non, you know, non-competing, yeah. yeah, like then 
well, then his dream is over in mm-hmm. Crosby's, and that's not nothing. Right. And so, yeah, I agree, Caleb, they should have a conversation. I mean, it is shitty for him to just walk away. But I think, I think, I mean, maybe it's just the TV fan in me and not the realist, but I'm like, you should keep this place. It's cool. <laughs> and it brought you together as brothers, and it's fun to watch these storylines. I, It's a lot more fun than just... Well, and then we sold it. Wasn't that a fun thing we did for one season of our show? Yeah. Well, and there may be logic if inside of a year, if they're already getting a million dollar plus offers, if they continue working there and continue burnishing the reputation of this place, its value probably would only go up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe even if you were like taking a very cynical point of view, Milk them for all they're worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you also feel like Crosby's um, unwillingness to talk about it was also possibly due to the time at which it came up in his life when he's dealing with Jasmine not being part of his life and that, you know, they're prepping for the trip not to move on to another storyline. But he's clearly like broken about that right now. And this yeah. is just another like he can't think about this right now. It's right. the only thing in his life that is the way yeah, he wants Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> And, I mean, Adam did bring it up as Crosby is packing up (laughs) his things to go on the camping trip with his son. So Adam did also pick a really bad time. Like, it'd be one thing if it was the start of the work day and they had all day together, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's like, I just want to let you know sometime today I would like to have a conversation. But in typical Braverman fashion, he's like, (laughs) we have to talk about this very serious thing right now, Now. even though (laughs) you're about to leave. Like, that's the worst time. And so I maybe it makes it a little less shitty of Crosby to leave because he was leaving. Like, he had to go. He's like, I'm leaving right now. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, I can't talk about this. So I also wondered in this scene, where's Rachel? (laughs) Yeah, she hasn't been on in episodes. That's their... um, if you remember their assistant that like kissed Adam and it was a whole thing. Do you remember that? Mm, Is that coming back? Yes. Yeah. 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 And it was funny. They fought for her right to stay there. Christina wanted her fired and stuff. And then we just haven't seen her oh, <laughs> since. <laughs> and then along those lines, where's Nora? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. That's true. They have a new baby. I mean, yeah. like people come in and out, you know, also in this episode, there's no Zeke, Camille, Drew, Hattie, Max. So right. there's a lot of people not around, but Weird that I that would be wonder. my favorite episode with hmm. all those characters gone. Yeah. Sorry, no offense. Yeah. No offense, Rachel. You know, no offense. No. <laughs> yeah. Those were what I considered to be the less emotional storyline. Yeah. <laughs> now let's go to the most emotional Oh, man. Yeah. The first note I took on the whole Zoe plot line in this episode was, I wish characters on TV shows and in movies could realize that they're in labor without their water breaking. (laughs) Because it doesn't all, that's not always the first sign of, oh, the baby's coming. I mean, am I right? Alicia, as someone who has born children. It's it's funny you say that because that was mine with both of my babies. My water broke and I didn't have any contractions before that. So, (laughs) yeah. thought to question it because I have learned all of my birthing information from TV like seriously so I'm like that's just how you know you're in labor so I didn't even know that it could be anything else well riddle me this if one was standing in an aisle in the grocery store and your water broke would your shoes be completely dry and there'd be not a spot of moisture on the floor it would be very visible okay that's the other thing I was like 
did her water break? Because it sure doesn't look. It looks yeah, like she's I wonder. That that's too. a good point. Oh yeah. Sorry to get a little graphic. If you want to edit this out, I get it. I but we, we would also be hearing some sounds of the water breaking. We would be uh, hearing a lot of dripping of the bodily fluids. Wow. Shane's this isn't where I saw this podcast going. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> but seriously. Oh my... You're like grossed out by your own wife. Yeah, right. Thank you. Recalling yeah. how she bore your children. Yeah, no, I'm just like... <laughs> no. no, it's such a good, a good observation that you were like, huh, wouldn't her shoes be wet? Yeah, they would be soaked. She And she probably, she wouldn't be just like, you know, I understand. She did a great job when she was like kind of, shaking and she's getting her phone out and she's starting to cry and everything but also she's not like asking for help and maybe that's part of zoe right like we kind of see she's just doing this on her own but if that were me in a grocery store i would probably be panicking and be saying to like can somebody get help i need i need she's i'm in like labor julia come come right now well Forget yeah me. yeah to julia yeah but I wonder, like, off to the side, and then did she get off Some, the phone? like, stock boy. Yeah, <laughs> did she say to anyone, I'm in labor, I need help. Also, she's supposed to be on bed rest. Why is she grocery shopping? Because <laughs> she's trying to do it all, and she's trying to do it all on her own. Oh. Uh, I did appreciate, though, that both in that scene and then later throughout the episode, her predominant emotion seemed to be fear. Mm-hmm. Like, she yeah. was scared. Yeah of having the baby. And I at least can't remember another show where that was someone's main reaction to being in labor was like, I'm terrified to do this. And I, I mean, if I were having a baby, I'd be scared. Mm -hmm. Was that ever part of your experience, Alicia? Yes, my, funny you say that. So my births were both very traumatic, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, they were, they were intense to say the least. And I'm, I'm so thankful that we, we are all here. We made it. We survived. Like they were that intense. Wow. Um, yeah. Very scary for Shane too. I'm sure, (laughs) but fear. Yeah. So the fear was there, but thinking about like why Zoe is afraid is probably so many layers to that. Right. You know, like you're scared of the actual delivery and the physical components of birth. And then from her perspective, She's scared, probably, as we see later, is she making the right decision, right? Like, we know that's this overarching theme. And and then... She's also just so young yeah. and, and alone. Like, she says her yeah. mom and her sister don't even know that she's pregnant. Like, wow. yeah. Julia's her only support. Yeah, it's a lot, yeah. a lot to deal with. I really, I was a little bit triggered, like a little bit PTSD going on, you know, during that whole portion of the episode of her birth and everything, but she did a, such a nice job with it. I thought that yeah, I liked um, her her acting of that of the birth. Shane was like, "What did you say? Something like, um, why are births on TV? the The face is always so dramatic." And he's like, "You didn't look like that." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, good." <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point though something that had occurred to me too that she would be scared not just of labor but of everything that comes after mm-hmm. and I thought while she's been pregnant one advantage of the pregnancy is she has been in this kind of limbo state yeah. where I'm not on my own because Joel and Julia are being so supportive and like for a while she was living with them 
which I think she realized was a step too far and, and she set some boundaries, but it does answer a lot of the big questions in her life of like, how will I support myself, take care of myself? Oh, they'll just do it for me, but they're not gonna do it for you forever. Yeah. And then am I making the right choice with the baby? Well, as long as you're pregnant, you don't have to decide yeah. yet. It hasn't yeah. arrived yet. So she can kind of delude herself into just not facing all those things. But once the baby is born, there's no more delay. And then add on top of that, all the physical stuff. Just, oh God. The way, like two things really strike me about the fear. Like her saying she didn't want to go into the delivery room. I thought, what an interesting choice. I wonder how many mothers say something like that. Like, Like, I mean, she was just... It, it didn't make any logical sense, of course. You know, she she has to give birth. And for her to be like, no, I just want to stay here. Felt like such a little kid response to something you know you have to do. You know, it, it was oh, yeah. so sad. I mean, it really emphasized her, her how young she is. But then also, God, when Julia's holding the son and, and saying, you know, do, do you want to hold him? The way she delivered that line, she was like, I don't want to hold him. Like, it was so intense and like, the idea that I can't hold him because then I'll keep him is what mm-hmm. I kind of interpreted, you know, that as. Yeah. But yeah, just I, I can't even look at him. She was looking away. And I thought, God, what a traumatic experience this poor young woman has gone through. Not just the delivery, but nine months of this. And she's broken up with her boyfriend. And Caleb once pointed out, we're supposed to look at that as a great thing. Like, oh, good. We didn't like him anyway. But she loved him. And that was her support system. And now yeah. she doesn't have that. And she's just totally alone. I Yeah, just, I kept, I felt for her more than Julia and Joel in this episode. I maybe shouldn't say that. That might sound terrible. But I just no. was like, really, like, this poor thing. <laughs> like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I think that's a good point to make because I I was thinking how like, you know, we, we love that parenthood represents a lot of different issues that people have, challenges that people face in American society. And that's a group of women that is, is pretty large. There's a lot of women that are affected by, you know, unplanned pregnancies, whether they're young or a little bit older. And then for whatever reason, the partner doesn't stick around and then they're left to, to face it on their own, whether they're gonna keep that baby or not. It's like, it shows what a, what a personal conflict that is. And so I was glad that they, they chose this as another storyline, because I think it's important. I think a lot of women can relate to that. And it's, yeah. and obviously with a title like Parenthood, they're showing yet another example of sometimes this is a challenge that one may face as yeah. as they become a parent. Yeah. And and are they going to be the, the parent of this child that they bore? Or are they going to give it a possibly better life? So I, I don't know. I'm getting yeah. emotional because <laughs> I think that I just like that topic. And I think it's really important that it's shown on television. And- Melissa, to your point about feeling for Zoe in that scenario, I think in a lot of shows, it would have been written and and directed in a way that we are supposed to feel for Joel and uh, Julia because they're they're our characters that we follow. So so you would think the show would be inclined to 
have you be on their side, but I think this does a really good job of, of kind of having you be on both sides. Like you can feel bad for both of them Mm -hmm. and know that like, nobody's the quote unquote villain in this situation. It's just, it's just an awful situation to be in on either side. And it's, and it's okay to feel like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think a different show now that we know how it ends up and we'll get there in a second, I know, but it would have had Zoe be this like manipulator, this mastermind from the beginning mm-hmm. who was, you know, just getting her medical bills paid for by this rich family. And she was just totally working them. And I, I don't for a second believe that that's Mm-mm. who she was or what she was right. doing. Right. Yeah. 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 When Alicia, I think you made such a good point about, you know, the show is always trying to show different aspects of parenting And if I'm correct, this is the third birth we've seen on the show. The first was Sydney's teacher, which was totally played for laughs, just ridiculous. She was cursing, but they can't even curse on network TV. So she's just like, mother frig, (laughs) whatever. It was so stupid. It was really bad. Stupid to the point of I was almost offended. (laughs) And, you know, it's not like... Because that's not how my births went. Just <laughs> like a viewer, I felt offended. Yeah. And then we saw Christina give birth earlier this season, and that was much more realistic. But it was a very joyous occasion, even mm-hmm. though she was with Crosby and they just had a fight. But this was a wanted baby that was going to have a huge <laughs> network of people welcoming her yeah. to the world. And, and then now we have Zoe who's entirely alone and the baby's going to go to someone else. And, but anyway, I thought this was the least glamorous depiction of labor. Certainly that we've seen on this series so far. Zoe breathe. Ah! It's going to end. Okay. Ah! I promise. Ah! Ow. Ow. Keep breathing. Okay? Just... Right. You didn't say it was going to hurt like this. You should have told me. There's really nothing to compare it to. I'm sorry. How about hell on earth? How about that? Okay. I'm gonna die. This is gonna kill me and I'm gonna die. Sorry. I'm gonna die. Listen, you're not gonna die. I can't do this. You can do this. I know you. And I promise it's not gonna kill you. Okay? You're really brave. So brave. That devastated me. Oh my god. Her her I love you was What do you think prompted that? I, I think she's been trying really hard in the last few episodes to keep everything separate and professional. And I think just her being so vulnerable and look, her like, like you said, Shane, that her mom and her sister don't even know. And here is the person who's been there with her the whole time. And uh, I think, you know, just her guard is down mm-hmm. and she truly loves her, you know, and, and says it. And I broke down. That was when I was sobbing. I'm like, Oh my God, it meant so much to me to hear that. And I can't even quite articulate why I just thought it was 
beautiful. I don't know if we often enough focus on all those shades and complexities of different kinds of love. You know, we always put so much importance on like romantic love, yes, but also family love, like blood love, you know, and, and this is like just friendship love. This is two women who have just become like family. Yeah, I totally agree. They're, they're just showing a bond that is not a super common one, right? Like compared to romantic relationships and typical family, you know, maybe mother-child relationships. But this is a different kind of bond, woman to woman. And she's, Zoe is seeing Julia in this moment as the person that is here for me. When I just said, I'm going to die. And then you, Julia, come and say, no, you're not. You are so brave. You're going to do this. Like how powerful of a moment. And I think Zoe was just, like you said, completely let her guard down and just, I love you is the only way she could articulate that. To me, it just seemed like uh, like the simplest and purest way for her to like say thank you for being the one who's been here for me mm-hmm. and is here for me right now. Yeah. yeah. What did you make of Julia's response? I wondered that too. Me too, sweetie. It was a little awkward, I thought. It was awkward, yeah, but also kind of predictable. I would have been very surprised if Julia would have said, I love you too. I think it was fitting for her character to to feel a little bit off-put in like the weirdest way, right? Like she just wasn't quite comfortable saying it back. I couldn't tell if it was sincere or not. I mm-hmm. want to think that me too, sweetie, means, of course, I love you too. But I wonder if it's like, no, I'm a lawyer. I got to keep this professional. We've signed papers. Things are in place. Like, I feel like she's still thinking about herself and trying to strategize. Keep those boundaries a little right. bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was sad to me. I don't know. I mm-hmm. thought, can you not give this girl this? I. I don't know, but and or does she not love her? Genuinely? Yeah, I mean, I would think she would, but yeah, it makes me appreciate how, you know, when we had Samantha Martin on, she spoke about how they had to do so much counseling ahead of time with their sperm donor, who was, you know, a great friend of theirs, just to make sure everyone was on the same page about what is the arrangement here and we're all okay with it. And then Melissa, as you said, when you donated your eggs to a family member that you had to go to counseling just to make sure you were of sound mind that about I wouldn't what change you were my doing. mind or yeah. 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 And wow. I thought that's why you do it. it even if it mm-hmm. seems overly cautious, because to me, underneath everything in this episode was after this, after this intensely emotional thing. We're going to cease communication and ever seeing each other again, which to me just seems insane, but yeah. whatever. Okay, then you you all have to go to like an impartial professional third party who's going to verify that everyone is expecting the same thing and everyone is truly okay with it because it's just, it's emotional beyond a degree I can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're totally right. And I wonder if that's why Julia was hesitant to say, I love you, when it's like, now give me your baby and have a nice life. Right. Yeah. I'll never see you again. It's Let, been real. Right. To me, the solution there is then don't never see her again. Continue to have some kind of relationship. But yeah. 
who knows? And and I at least from what we've heard from Zoe, that's not what she wants either. So I do think they need to respect her wishes, but mm-hmm. it's just just like heartrending. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And I also took note: why was she not nominated for a guest actress? Mm-hmm. I was thinking that too. Mm-hmm. She was like, incredible. I love. She was. I love Jason Ritter, but. His high school reunion was not better than this. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she, totally. I mean, throughout the season, she's been incredible. But where I really thought it is that moment, Melissa, you already mentioned after the baby's born and she says, I don't want to see him. I'm like, give her an award. Yeah. yeah. It was incredible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been saying this entire season. So let's say it one more time as it's wrapping up. This storyline should not work. It was so ridiculous that, like, Julia wants to adopt the coffee cart girl's baby, you know, and like, (laughs) it's ludicrous. But because Rosa Salazar was so good, we just kind of quickly hopped on board. We're like, Mm -hmm. I don't care. Like, I don't care if it's far-fetched, we're in, you know? And, And I think that's what good acting will do. It will just... I mean, I think this is truly one of my favorite storylines that was ever on the show. And it's this storyline that could have been really terrible. <laughs> so, Well, it's funny you mentioned this, Melissa, because I mentioned at the top of the podcast that this was on at least two top 10 lists that I could find. But when I was looking for that, I also found a listicle on ScreenRant.com <laughs> titled Parenthood, 10 Most Unnecessary Plot Lines. And coming in... <laughs> Unbelievably, at number one, wow, was Julia can't adopt Zoe's baby after all. What wow. the author of this writes? Joel and Julia have a tough relationship, and it doesn't get any better when Julia tries to adopt Zoe's baby in the third season. Zoe ends up keeping the baby, which is really tough to watch, which was the obvious outcome from the moment that her character was introduced, making this an unnecessary storyline. It was clear that on a drama like Parenthood, where a lot of bad things happen to good people, this wouldn't wrap up so easily. It's also strange that Julia would want to raise the baby of a young girl who runs the coffee cart at her office. It just seemed too close for comfort. Wow. (laughs) I disagree. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much everything they Wow. But that, okay, someone thinks this is the worst storyline ever on Parenthood. Oh, man. No, no way. Unnecessary, I guess. If you're looking at things purely from the angle of, well, how does it play out? I mean, I guess I could see where someone would call this unnecessary because it's like, well, what was even the point? They don't even get the baby. And I'm like, but what's the point to anything in life then, really? You know, it's like like (laughs) we're always going down journeys that sometimes work out for us and sometimes don't. And yeah, it's not just the end result that matters. You know, like to go back to my story for a minute, when I um, donated eggs to my cousin and it ultimately did not result in a pregnancy and it was very heartbreaking for all of us. It was still, at least for me, and I, I hope for my cousin and her husband too, it, it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And it's heartbreaking that it didn't work out the way that we wanted it to. But I spent a summer in Providence with my cousin who I'd always admired and looked up to and always wanted to get to know better and her husband. And the three of us really bonded and became quite close. And we still are um, 11 years later. And... I don't know, just the, the somehow that really brought us something and it didn't bring us what we thought it would, but it wasn't a waste of time. Like, I don't know. I think sometimes we have this real nihilistic way of looking at things that if they don't go the way we want, it was a waste of time. Was, was Zoe and Julia and their 
love that they eventually found for each other. Was that a waste of time? Because it didn't result in Julia getting her baby? I don't think it was. No. So anyway, that's that's my thought on screen rant. Yeah. <laughs> that's your screen rant. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you need to post a, a rebuttal to that, yeah. to that uh, other listicle or whatever it was. But maybe, you know, the end result didn't end up being a, a continuation that we see in parenthood. But if this was Zoe's story and Zoe's show, the end result is Zoe going home with a child that she's going to raise and have a life with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just because, you know, it didn't, you know, give us something in Joel and Julia's story going forward in terms of a baby, like, yeah, kind of like what you said, just because it doesn't turn out the way people expected doesn't mean it, it didn't result in something worthwhile of yeah. experiencing. <laughs> I'm imagining her going to see her mom and her sister. And, yeah. you know, I mean, like, I actually want to go follow that. You know, I'm like, that sounds yeah. fascinating. Let's see what happens. And, yeah. And as we were all saying earlier about once Zoe has the baby, she has to face a lot of horrible things she doesn't want to face. And she has to do it all alone. Her keeping the baby, it does feel like, well, that's the one positive thing <laughs> about all of this. I mean, yes, it comes with a lot of responsibilities and one could argue burdens that maybe she is not super well equipped to tackle by herself. But there is also a lot of joy that would come with it. And I think that's why it is possible to see things from her point of view. And it's her baby. (laughs) You know, you can't be mad. It's disappointing. And I, I, but I'm with Melissa, I don't, think there was this was ever the plan on Zoe's part if it had been I would be angry but it clearly she didn't you know the first time we meet her she basically says I'm not keeping it and she's consistent about that the whole time I totally buy that someone I mean Alicia I'll be especially interested to hear your thoughts on this as someone who's given birth but as someone who hasn't I still feel like I could get someone. I mean, she was consistent the whole time. Like you just said, Caleb, she was like, no, I'm not keeping the baby. And they keep asking her that. And she's like, no, I could see your mind changing after you see your child. I mean, I really think that's why she wasn't going to look at him. And then maybe yeah. maybe she was like, I, I should at least see him. And then I imagine like, well, now it's over. <laughs> like she, you know, but what, what do you two think? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I was thinking that too, just how, it's such a powerful depiction of you, you carry this life inside of you for nine months and, and you're connected physically, spiritually, like you, you're definitely two attached bodies, but until that baby is born, you don't really grasp the relationship, the love. And then I feel like this happens a lot in situations where a mom is giving birth and at that moment she she even if she had planned just like Zoe to give up this baby I can't do it I don't want this baby the moment you you lay your eyes on it or you touch that baby's skin you feel them there is some overwhelming sense of this is my this is me this is a part of me how could I give this up that's the way that I view it like of course, of course she wants to keep that child and, and she wants to do everything she can to give it the best life she can. You know, of course she, 
how hard, how you can't even put it into words, how difficult it would be to give up a child in my eyes. You know, like you said, having done this a couple of times, I just can't, there's, there's no way for me to even imagine being able to do that, to give up a baby that I had given birth to. So I think it was, it was very powerful. I loved it. Yeah. And I would imagine even if, you know, one could watch this and say, but Zoe, the baby will have such a better life with Joel and Julia, which is a little callous to say, but I, I could see that point. But also I, I totally see Zoe's side. That mm-hmm. like, even if you understood that, it's like, but it's my baby and I love him and I'm going to give him a good life too. He'll be yeah. loved. Yeah. The other stuff is just like logistics. Well, he should have a better house. So I should yeah. give him right. away. Right. Of course. No, not. of course. Yeah. No. I think that exact thing. Yeah. Like if, if anybody did have that argument, it just feels like a very classist <laughs> yeah. argument. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, yeah, of course, Joel and Julia would be good parents, but I, I think that, yeah, Zoe just as much. She has so much to offer and also, it feels very realistic. I mentioned in a previous episode, maybe just the last one, that I've had a lot of students. You know, I know Zoe's a little older than that, but get pregnant. And of the students who chose to carry the child and give birth, I, I only know of one who gave their baby up for adoption. And I think for a lot of young women, and I don't know that this is necessarily good, but I think there is this idea of like wanting unconditional love. Like, I think it sounds like that's not something Zoe's had a lot of. And so I totally understand that too. You give birth to this child and it's like, Oh, here is love. I've been wanting love and here it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My most vivid memory from this episode before revisiting it was of Julia going into that hospital room and just breaking down. And it's, it's so strange on a podcast I want to play the most emotional moment of the episode, in my opinion, <laughs> but there's nothing to listen to, right. really. It just just sounds yeah. a beautiful song. Yeah. 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 But there is this moment beforehand. This episode on the DVD had commentary from Jason Kadams, who directed this particular episode and, of course, developed the whole series. And he mentioned a moment right before this when Joel and Sydney get out of the elevator and see Julia. He mentioned in the commentary that that moment got fleshed out a little bit from the original script because they realized how tense it was to have Julia need to communicate to Joel what has happened. But with Sydney present, yeah. she yeah. can't just say it. And so I thought I'd play that little moment. There she is. Where's the baby? Um, the nursery isn't quite open yet. Um. Did you take it downstairs for yeah. a hot chocolate or something? Yeah. It's a baby. The baby's fine. Okay. But it's... It's... It's not. Her reaction after that is heart-wrenching, and I'm in awe of her as an actor. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't have any dialogue in that next scene. She doesn't have a scene partner mm-hmm. to play off of. Yeah. It's just, here, walk into this room and weep. That's yeah. your task. Yeah. I don't know how someone does that. Right. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It was in that moment that I really thought, and the moment when she sees Zoe 
and you see Julia's face kind of turn to stone. Yeah. And then almost like she's hypnotized, like I'm going to turn around and I'm going to walk that direction. I think it would be torture (laughs) because I think you would feel so angry or betrayed if you were Julia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think you'd also feel like you have no right to feel that way because Zoe has every right to keep her child. I mean, I think Julia certainly as a mother herself would understand until you hand the baby over, Mm -hmm. it's yours. I mean, even after, in a way, it's yours forever. Yeah. So killed me. I just couldn't imagine the the complete 180, like from them walking into the hospital, like so excited, like joking about, oh, can I still use this this car seat? And yeah, Sydney has the little giraffe for the baby, oh. and and just within minutes, like that's just all gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I would think it would feel like if Julia had been carrying a baby, and like it was stillborn or something. Yeah. I, I feel like it would have to feel the same. Like we've yeah. been planning, mm-hmm. planning, planning, and now just, oh, forget it. But with this weird twist of, I mean, like when she is trying to communicate to Joel and he's like, is the baby, and she has to say, the baby's fine, but. It's just not ours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, may, maybe, I, I think that would have to be better. You know, like the baby will go on to have a, a good life, this baby that I was attached to and cared for and thought of as my own, then the baby has died. But it is a death. It is a loss. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you there. Yeah. yeah. I Coupled imagine. with perhaps a betrayal from mm-hmm. someone she yeah. thought of as a friend. Yeah. Right. Well, and the, the, you know, you were talking about how what you remembered most was Julia walking into that room and breaking down. What I remember most was Zoe's face when she had her baby in her yeah. lap oh, and was yeah. like playing, you know, sort of, and then looked up and was like, I mean, I remember the first time I watched this episode, I was really trying to decipher her expression. It took me a second to understand what was happening. And then I was like, oh, I think I was a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> but I I was like, what is this expression? It was like pure joy when she was looking at her child. Mm-hmm. And then it was this slow, like, I'm so sorry. You know, and, and uh, that has stayed with me. You know, it is astounding that this moment they've been building to all season, they don't give anybody any words. I mean, they are entrusting that information to be communicated solely by the faces of those two women. Mm -hmm. I said that to Alicia. I was like, they didn't even speak. Julia's just going to (laughs) leave. I I almost want to be like, do you maybe want to talk and just get just confirmed from the back look meant what you think it meant? <laughs> yeah. but just to be sure, like you're keeping the baby. You're right? keeping it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it was yeah. communicated yeah. successfully. I think. Ugh. Yeah. And that scene was like the beginning of that song playing, which was sort of a montage, except it was a montage with words. Like it carried on. It was like they played yeah. the entire song for the rest of the episode. It was with Amber going and being in Sarah's bed with her and then the whole Crosby Jasmine thing, which I know we'll get yeah. to, but it was very effective. God, it was good. Yeah. yeah. That song was Transatlanticism by Death Cab for Cutie. It's really FYI. good. FYI. It was really beautiful. good. I'm just going to throw out there a little speechy tidbit that Let's hear it. <laughs> that I think now is is kind of funny and light lighthearted for all of, all of this. That's maybe good. But yeah, yeah. I'm curious yeah. to see where this is going. Oh yeah. You, <laughs> you've probably heard me say this, but so, you know, obviously we're talking about like the weight that they had to carry in their faces and their body language 
no words were used, well, only 7% of what we communicate is through our words. Whoa. 93% is through our tone of voice, our facial expression, our body language, prosody, everything else. So that means if I was just speaking gibberish right now, you could probably pick up some form of, of meaning. You could pick up maybe what I'm trying to communicate in some sense. So Whoa, yeah, just a really? little speechy tidbit. Only wow. 7% <laughs> of what we try to communicate is through words. <laughs> wow. I'm glad you then went on to specify that some of it still is like um, audio, like, you know, because it's like mm-hmm. tone of voice. Yeah. And that is interesting. I totally buy that because, you know, there's the joke of like, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. But I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. You oh, know, that true. that means a lot. Yeah. yeah. Something could yeah. be an insult or an affectionate compliment, you know, sort of depending <laughs> on how they say it. Like right. every once in a while, if my husband and I are like, seeing something differently he'll he'll even kind of call me stupid but like in a way that's really like affectionate and sweet and makes me feel loved he's like he'll be like you stupid like you know but it's like obvious it's obvious he doesn't really think that and it like actually just makes me laugh and it's like very funny but like that would be such a mean thing to say if you meant it I don't know anyway I'm, I'm guilty of that yeah I call this guy stupid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like out of love. Yeah. yeah. Out of love. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I don't know. Well, the other big emotional storyline in this episode, I say for last because it's considerably happier. Yeah, yes. that's a good idea. The Zoe mm. one. My first note on this storyline was, I have no desire to camp ever. But if I was ever going to be persuaded to, I think it would take sharing a tent with Dr. Joe. <laughs> and, preferably, and preferably in a living room, not the wilderness. Yeah. We have a strong note on this storyline too. Oh, but yes. What Crosby and this 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 strikes a uh, this strikes a nerve with us. What mm-hmm. would Crosby and Jasmine and Jabari are doing? We would not call camping. That is not camping. Like, we are we are like campers like when we go camping we're like in the woods for a week with no amenities at all and then they're like oh let's go camping and then smash cut to them clearly in like a city community park like you could see a street lamp in the background at one point cars driving by that's not camping camping. (laughs) (laughs) you know that's a good point i didn't even really think about it 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 did seem like they were at a playground yes exactly (laughs) or something (laughs) That's kind of just sleeping outside. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think Joe is exhibiting some outright jealousy oh, at yeah. the top of this episode. I think it's the worst trait we've seen from him. I mean, it's so mild. He's a saint. But... <laughs> so are you going to be putting this tent up by yourself, or you think Crosby knows how to do that? You know you don't have to worry. There's nothing to worry about. I'm not worried about you spending the night in a tent with your ex. Why would I be worried? <laughs> well, I'll be fine. Okay. I love you. I love you too. All right, so normally I would be like, yeah, jealousy, man. Not a good look. But he's just a freaking seer. Like, he just knows. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, when she's like, 
you know, you don't have to worry. I'm like, well, that's just a lie. Like, like, that, yeah. <laughs> like the worst possible outcome. You might think the worst outcome is them sleeping together. No, they already did that. They already did that. <laughs> yeah. The worst outcome is they get engaged on this trip <laughs> without breaking up with their significant others first. They don't I suppose just... the only way it could have been worse is if someone married them at the playground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy it happened, but I'm like, Joe's not wrong. Like, there's jealousy when it's totally unfounded, and then that's a really ugly look. And then there's just, like, calling it like you see it. <laughs> like, this is not going in a way that's good for Joe. I would love to see a scene now where Jasmine's like, Joe, I had to tell you something. <laughs> what? Did you kiss Crosby? No, I married him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Also, I had this thought that Joe and Crosby's tents are just metaphors for the men. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we have a little callback to Dawes, who was in episode 215. Their song, Love Is All I Am, is playing while Crosby is tending to Jasmine's marshmallow burn. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, I, I took note of this little speech Crosby gave Jasmine. And I said, I hope Melissa's happy. Hey, what's hey. wrong? Is it because of me telling Jabbar about Joe or because I told you about that? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. I didn't want to ruin tonight. You didn't ruin anything. I did a year ago. I had this beautiful family and I ruined it and I couldn't fix it and it's too late. I wish I could go back in time and not be stupid. I can't. We just, we just have to get through this part. Well, this part hurts. Now I feel bad about the way I set that up. I didn't mean like, Melissa, I hope you're happy. (laughs) You keep wanting him to be accountable. Get over it. I loved it too. I thought it was so satisfying. Even though Crosby already kind of said this in a previous episode, I think the fact that it hits him over and over is just realistic. And it's a good sign. Like Mm -hmm. he really understands. It's not like he had one moment of clarity. And I actually, I thought that Jasmine's reaction was actually pretty good advice. I mean, they don't end up Taking it. it. (laughs) But I think sometimes you do just have to grit your teeth and get past the hardest part, and then it'll start getting better. Yeah. Sometimes it needs to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. No, I I was happy because, yeah, I kept saying it's not making a mistake, even a really awful one like cheating on someone that I can't get over, get past, forgive. It was really the way that he did it and then acted like everyone was being unreasonable and why is Jasmine even dating Joe? And it's like, well, yeah, because of you, you idiot. Like you made this horrible (laughs) mistake. And like for him to fully get it and be accountable, my anger at his mistake, at his cheating, like completely dissolves because I'm like, we're only human. It's just, we have to hold ourselves accountable for those mistakes. We can't the unforgivable thing, I think, is acting like we've done nothing wrong and everyone else needs to get over it. And so I think part of what made this episode so beautiful to me is everything felt so earned. 
Even when Jasmine and Crosby got engaged the first time, we commented a lot on how it was pretty fast. They really hadn't oh, yeah. been together very long. They didn't know each other super well. And now I feel like, God, they love each other. And they have yeah. been through everything together. And they have grown. And they have made mistakes. And they have learned how to grow from those. And I don't know. Something about it, I'm like, God, their relationship feels much deeper and richer even though this horrible thing happened and and when they got engaged the first time it hadn't I, I don't know it was really interesting to me how much more I was rooting for them this time yeah yeah I like what you said about it feeling earned mm -hmm. very true let's hear their reunion before I offer a a warm take okay <laughs> a warm take what I love you I've always loved you I never stopped loving you and and I don't want to live with anybody else and I know that we argue all the time and we fight and, and I'm bossy and controlling and you're, well, you're you, but I love our family and I want to be with you. Crosby Braverman, I want to be your wife. Will you still marry me? Yes, I will yeah? marry you. You will? Yes. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's very satisfying and I'm happy they're back together. What are you going to say to ruin this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just, maybe it's a downside of watching it so closely, but I can't help but think how perfect Joe and Lily do seem to be. And, and while I think it's a great theory, Melissa, you put forward that the show put them with their ideal partners to show that love isn't just about picking the most ideal scenario. It's oh, I like that. Yeah. Yes. Being with who you love. I can't help but think that watching Jasmine and Crosby's relationship and family evolve while they embark on other relationships might be more compelling television. Mm. <laughs> like we have other happy marriages on yeah. this show to watch. It'd be a new we dynamic. Don't have yeah. our co-parents who are not together, but who are have figured that out and are in a basically healthy place with it. But I, but I love them together, so it's not like I'm mad about it. <laughs> Do you think it would, there was something specific, though, that tipped the scales for Jasmine? I mean, aside from the rain and the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm guessing is not. It was not definitely the soundtrack. <laughs> was it something specific, or was it just like accumulation and mm. she could no longer deny what she was well, feeling? Well, you, you commented, oh, they're still kind of flirty. Like, oh, when they were packing for the trip. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think what you just said about just the compounding, there were just all these little elements where you could see, okay, she, of course, she still loves him. Of course. Of course, she wants her family to work with she and Jabbar and get them three back together. Like when he, you know, bandaged up her, her burn, which by the way, I was not convinced that that was such so bad of a burn. <laughs> That's just my little aside there. He's like, um, I just want to touch her hand, so I'm going to call right, it a second-degree right. burn. She's like, oh, ow, I hurt my finger. <laughs> okay, if you grabbed a marshmallow, it's going to hurt a little more than that. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just think that that moment of him bandaging her up, you know, and, and then when she catches him looking at her in the nighttime, little moments like that where I was like oh yeah of course he's got a hook out to her he's just reeling her right back in and it I'm not mad about it <laughs> it was like to me it was probably like a, a long period months and months of these little moments mm -hmm. that they shared like that and then like 
feel like being on a camping trip together was like a very quote unquote family thing mm -hmm. that they could be doing. And like, I don't know, maybe Jasmine was just seeing like, this is what it could be like. And we could, we could make countless more memories like this doing things together as a family. And this is where we all belong. And also there's, there's a part of me that's like, was she caught up in like the intimacy of sharing a tent and like, and then the rain, <laughs> the like we're building and building and, and is it just her being caught up? But I know it's not, but I think you could almost make that argument too. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I hadn't thought of this, but you know, Melissa, you said the tents are metaphors for each <laughs> man. The camping trip with Joe, much as I think he is perfect, perfection is kind of boring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a camping trip with Joe would have been, oh, here we are in this brand new perfect tent. Yep. And we're having a perfectly nice time. Yeah. And I don't know, Crosby's tent has imperfections, but it has charm because yeah. of them. And I don't know. It definitely wouldn't rain on Joe's camping trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Joe would have made sure that the rain... Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do get it and I'm glad they're together. Well, and I'm remembering how we've talked before about how the show was always on the bubble. And that's another thing is that I'm not positive that they knew that the show was going to go on another season. And oh, so, so they wanted to wrap them. I think they might have wanted up. to be like, yeah, yeah I oh. mean. Which is an interesting thing, because, I mean, another way to go would have been to wrap it up by just having them maturely mm -hmm. acknowledge this is over. We can't get past what happened. But look at us in a good place yeah. and, mm -hmm. in, you know, both together as co-parents and in these new relationships. And I agree with you, Caleb, actually. I was worried what you were going to say that was going to like destroy that beautiful moment. But, you know, <laughs> I actually think that also would have been really compelling and, mm -hmm. and it would have been... Good. And I like both characters, Joe and Lily. I like them a lot. And it was, I mean, you know, part of me is like so in the moment and that song is playing and then they call Jabbar over and Jabbar does that little thing where he raises his arms <laughs> and he's so happy that I'm like, I don't care about anything else. But then I'm like, wait, slow down. They probably should have broken up with those very nice people before they got engaged. Like, you know, I mean, like maybe it's yeah. like we've decided to be together and maybe they even kiss to to seal it off. But like maybe they should go end those. I mean, that is yeah. really intense. Like, but I don't know. What are you going to do? Maybe they'll leave the engagement it. out of it when they go back and <laughs> yeah. tell them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Well, so. like I said, this episode had commentary from Jason Kadams on it. There was nothing amazing that it's like, you guys have to hear what he said about this. But a few things I took note of, he mentioned that the last episode of the series that he directed was 2.17. So the 17th episode of the previous season. And that is when Crosby and Jasmine split up. So he felt like it, this was a nice episode to come back to that he kind of did each end of their time apart. Calling back to the Zoe storyline a little bit, he mentioned in the commentary receiving some criticism at the beginning of the season that the Zoe storyline treated adoption flippantly, but that he always intended for it to reach a deeper, more serious place by the end of the season. And it is true at the beginning, like Julia's literally saying, I'm going to buy her baby. Yeah. It, it is kind Ugh. of played for laughs. And it hadn't occurred to me then, but I thought, yeah, if you were adopting or had been adopted or knew anyone who was adopted, it is kind of yeah. <laughs> disrespectful yeah. to be like, isn't this hilarious? <laughs> um, <laughs> but then 
with this final sequence, Jason Kadem said the decision to put the final scenes in the rain wasn't always there, but that it felt right to set the tone. But he said they don't often do scenes in rain because it's expensive. Oh, sure. <laughs> and you don't want to overdo it. But that made me think about when they have used rain. It was in the pilot when Sarah is talking to Drew at the gas station. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then in season two, when Sarah talks about blaming Seth mm. for the bad things in her life when they're outside of the bar. I remember yeah. it raining then. Hmm. Do you remember any other rain moments that I'm not remembering? I mean, I'm remembering that they set Elizabeth and Darcy's uh, first proposal in the rain in the 2005 uh, movie, and it made it very dramatic because in the book, they're just like in a room. Um, that's, <laughs> that's not what you asked me. <laughs> I can't think of any other scenes from parenthood that are in the rain i think that you covered the ones that would have come to my mind um and those are beautiful moments too well i do want to play a little bit from the commentary and this is taken right from it so you'll also hear the episode underneath them a little bit but this is about the rain and it's the very end of the episode perfect so ending. it's him kind of wrapping it up too you know it's, it's funny it's like this is i thought so beautifully done i think joy Bryan is so great in this scene and and Dax is so wonderful, and it's funny, it's like when you say, oh, we're gonna do it in the rain, and you picture it, and it is so beautiful to look at it and, and, and see how, how gorgeous these images are, and that wide shot that I love so much, and it's so great to, like, um, to, yeah, and so when you picture it, you think, oh, we're gonna do it in the rain, it's gonna be so great, and then, um, but then you actually go out there, and you have to, you keep having to have the, ask the actors to go back again, and you know, you know, get wet <laughs> again and, <laughs> and go through it. And it's, it just kills you to have them ask them to do one more take and to do it again. Um, but, you know, of course, it, it's it's worth it. And they were total troopers and do it. <laughs> um, and at the end, when we were done, it didn't take that actually that long to do that. Um, it didn't take that many takes to do that scene. So at the end, when we were done, they were like, Oh, that's it? Um, so they were actually happy about it. <laughs> um, so in any case, um, all right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, mm -hmm. it's been a pleasure. We're waiting right now to hear about um, season four. Hopefully we'll get a season four, and I'll be able to come back uh, next year and do it again. Thank you very much. Oh, and that's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sound well. The dog is like shaking and you hear the little jingle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten. I left that in that clip because I had forgotten the fact about his dog being the dog in that True Jack logo. Oh. That's his production company at the end. Aww. And that's his literal dog. I love that. Oh, cool. <laughs> and yes, I wanted to just confirm Melissa's suspicion that they didn't know at the end of season three if there would yeah. be a season four. Maybe they wouldn't have gotten engaged. Maybe they just would have gotten back together if they'd known they'd had more If they knew, yeah. Time. It would be hard to write finales each year that could satisfactorily end the season or leave it open oh, yeah. for another one. It's so fascinating to me that this wasn't the finale. Like, didn't it feel like a finale? Like, yes. I'm like, there's another yeah. one in season three? What? Although I was worried that it would feel so much like a finale that anything after it would be anticlimactic. But I felt like, even though I loved this episode, 
there is still a lot I'm eager to see after this. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, like, what do Joel and Julia do now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even remember if Zoe is, was this her last episode? I actually do remember that. I won't say, but I do remember. I'm pretty sure. I, yeah, I think I do remember <laughs> also. Yeah. But I'm not positive. And we have the luncheonette business to settle up. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. We and really is do. there more with Amber or is that kind of dropped? I don't remember. But Yeah, yeah you're right. And then there are storylines that were not in this episode, but that, you know, you, you might want to return to. Like Zeke's health has been coming up and Hattie yeah. going to college and Drew and Amy. I feel like we haven't seen Amy in a while, you know. So yeah. just, yeah. I should mention this episode is called Remember Me, I'm the One Who Loves You. That is a reference to a song that we actually hear Crosby and Jasmine and Jabbar singing. Mm-hmm. Crosby's tone deaf as ever. <laughs> <laughs> but Remember Me, I'm the One Who Loves You was written and originally performed by Stuart Hamblin and released in 1950. Wow. It was also recorded that year by Ernest Tubb and then in 1957 by Johnny Cash and in 1965 by Dean Martin. And lots of other people, but those were kind of the most prominent ones. Interesting, yeah. I did think it was the perfect song because it was like deceptively just fun. Like, oh, let's just sing this in the Mm -hmm. tent. Like all of us chiming in together. (laughs) But it's like also, remember me, Jasmine? I am the one who loves you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so perfect. Yeah, it was like um, that's the whole theme of of their storyline at least. Yeah. Yeah. I noted that telling... Or reminding people you love them felt like a theme too. Like Zoe tells Julia she loves her. And it's funny, I think I actually got all of these in the clips we played in this podcast. But Zoe tells Julia she loves her and Julia kind of says it back. (laughs) Me too, sweetie. (laughs) Christina tells Amber she loves her. Mm -hmm. Joe and Jasmine say it to each other before Uh. the camping trip. Jasmine tells Crosby (laughs) that she loves him. Crosby and Adam say they love the luncheonette. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And even though they didn't say I love you, Amber and Sarah said I missed you. And I think that's why they missed each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And the tenor of that whole scene felt like Amber needed to go where she knew for certain that she was loved. Yeah. No talking or anything required. And I'm like, that's what moms are for. Yes. That's so good. Well, I don't mean to open up a whole other can of worms as we're nicely wrapping it up, but I am curious. Do you think Jasmine also loved Joe? Like, is it possible to love two people romantically and you just end up loving one more and you make that choice? I mean, that's what we're confronted with every season on The Bachelor. But I wonder, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like an, an actual, you know, like, is that is that a possible thing? Because I didn't feel like she was trying to lead Joe on. I didn't feel like she was lying to him. It seemed... Like when she said, you have nothing to worry about, she meant it. You know, I, I think she mm-hmm. was maybe denying her feelings for Crosby and really pushing herself in the direction of this maybe quote unquote smarter choice <laughs> of right. Joe. Uh, but I was just curious. I meant to ask that earlier. D- do you think that she really did love him or just wanted to love him? I would guess maybe it was more the latter there. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Speaking of dog noises. <laughs> um yeah, like we've said all along, I think she still knew that she had feelings for Crosby. So maybe she was she wanted to or was trying to convince herself more so that that she did love Joe and wanted to be with him when deep down she knew 
she belonged with Crosby. Yep. That's what I would like to think, at least. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. As much as I have gone on and on about Joe, (laughs) I have to admit, I think he is more a plot device than a character. And that's not to knock D.B. Woodside at all. I think he played him very well, but you haven't gotten to see a lot of Joe's personality. Mm -hmm. It's just that he's reliable, dependable, kind. Yeah. Rich, handsome. To a fault. (laughs) And rich, handsome. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like Not that I think the show necessarily should have spent more time digging into who is Joe. I don't know how much anybody really cares. But as a rival for Crosby, he felt underdeveloped. Mm. Does Joe make Jasmine laugh? Does he make anybody laugh? Mm -hmm. Does he have a sense of humor? There's just a lot of things like that. It felt like, hmm, this isn't really a contest, is it? Even though he's handsomer and richer, I would argue. He builds a mean tent. He builds a mean tent. Maybe you can develop him a little more with some some Dr. Joe fan fiction. <laughs> Let's have a spin-off of Dr. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, that. Joe and Lily should be a couple cuz they're great people. <laughs> yeah. And I think they I want would them like to be each happy. other. Yeah. 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 I think I think that would be great. Let's start a show that's about Zoe's single motherhood and her friends Joe and Lily who have found themselves in a Shania Twain-esque relationship. <laughs> and they all move into a New York City brownstone together. <laughs> yes. Mark and Sarah, the one that they were supposed to buy, yeah. but they end right. up not going to New York. Yep. So right. they, they get it. Yeah, that's perfect. And Gil lives down the street. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. It was nice, as dramatic as it was, to have one of the, I mean, I feel like, Zoe and Jasmine were the big storylines. Mm-hmm. It was nice that one of them was tragic and one of them was very happy. Yeah, it was right. a good balance. Right. Whereas, like, you know, I remember 217 felt like a very significant episode, but everything that happened in that episode was depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I got to say, once again, we were talking about point of view and how that's everything. And if this were, I think it was Shane, you were the one who said that if this were Zoe's story, then it would we would look at it differently. And I think yeah. that's true, too. Like, we call the Julia storyline depressing because Julia doesn't get the baby and we call Jasmine and Crosby's storyline happy because they get back together. But if we look at it through Zoe's eyes, well, then that's the happy storyline. And if we look at it through Joe and Lily's eyes, that's the depressing one. Well, the partners we trusted went on a camping trip and came back engaged. You know, it's like like (laughs) Billy Bob Thornton like ended up marrying Angelina Jolie while his girlfriend Laura Dern was making a movie. She came back and her boyfriend was married to Angelina Jolie. Just saying that happens, I guess. <laughs> well. Well, great episode. Yeah. My favorite, as it turns out. We'll see if anyone ever tops it, but I don't know if anyone ever The will. bar has been set pretty yep. high. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Shane and Alicia, thank you so much for coming back for this very special episode. It was as delightful as the first time. Thanks for having us. Every time is like the first time. (laughs) (laughs) It really, it it lived up to my very happy memory. Oh, good. We didn't have as much full house talk. Yeah. That's a mistake. But we did have some a different world talk. So that's true. There's just always some sort of sitcom from. Yep. (laughs) Got to have a throwback sitcom reference. Sure. (laughs) Everyone, 
thank you for listening and please be sure to you know follow us on social media parenthood pals everywhere facebook twitter instagram and you can find us at parenthoodpals.com for all your parenthood pals needs (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening and until next time may god bless and keep you always and may your wishes all come true